Good evening, everyone. This evening, I'd like to share with you some reflections on this quality that Donald and I have been uh, speaking to you about today, namely this this quality of samadhi. And in particular, I want to share with you how it's really an art, this art of samadhi. And hopefully by now you've realized what a tricky art it is and what a refined art it is. And and so tonight, uh, some reflections on this. And I'd like to begin with a story. And this uh, comes from the Middle-Length Discourses. Uh, you could say, once upon a time, the Buddha was hanging out with this fellow by the name of Sach- Sachika, Sachika, Niganta's son. Um, and I, I think the, in the discourse, the, the Buddha is using his family name, Agivisena. And during their conversation, the Buddha shares with them a little, a little bit about his own journey, his own journey uh, to finding this path to freedom. And the, 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 one of the things I appreciate about the, the story is it also shows his, how he went down the wrong path at times and then eventually found a path that was more effective for his awakening, for his freedom. And he shares with Agivisena this uh, this exploration he did of these austerity practices where he said he would hold his breath until basically, you know, his body was falling apart. And then he also tried to eat very, very little f- food. And, and the way he described his body after eating such little food is he said, my spine stood out like a string of beads. My ribs jutted out like the jutting rafters of an old rundown barn. The gleam of my eyes appeared to be sunk deep in my eye sockets, like the gleam of water deep in a well. My scalp shriveled and withered like the green bitter gourd, shriveled and withered in the heat and the wind. The skin of my belly became so stuck to my spine that when I thought of touching my belly, I grabbed hold of my spine as well. Right, these extreme austerities of really, you could say, punishing his, his body. And then there's the turn, the turn in the story, which is uh, so important, where he said, he said, and then I had this thought, I recalled, I recalled the day when I was young and my father was out working and I was sitting in the cool shade of a rose apple tree. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen in, in Southeast Asia these rose apple trees. They're not huge trees, but they give just a, a, a beautiful kind of uh, shade in them. And uh, when he was quite young, he remembered entering a state of samadhi. And then he said, and then following on that memory came the realization, this is the path to awakening. And he, and, he, and he thought, so why am I afraid of, of this kind of pleasure that has nothing to do with unwholesomeness? Oh, this is the pleasure of, of wholesome, of the wholesome. This is the, the kind of pleasantness that has nothing to do with unskillful qualities, but rather skillful qualities. And here was the turning, the turning of the memory that came with the memory when he was young under the rose apple tree and had the experience of samadhi. And when I reflect upon this story for myself, of course, when, you know, when I first reflect on it, I don't feel like I can relate to it, right? I've never, 
I've never really been into starving myself <laughs> or holding my breath. I've never tried it, and I've never had a desire to try it. How do we relate to this? How do we relate to what we're doing here? And also, how do we um, bring in this very important turn, this, this turn towards the pleasant, especially in terms of samadhi? I think when I reflected on it more deeply, I could see that in some ways I have a mind that's habituated to a particular kind of modern austerity, which you might be able to relate to. And you'll hear kind of it, it percolate through some of the, the challenges that I uh, will mention around samadhi. And it's the, the modern austerity that I think both that Donald has already mentioned is just of, of that self-judgment, that criticism, the harshness or hardness that we can have on ourselves. A lot of times we don't see it as an austerity, but it, it works in the same way. It, it leads us down the wrong path. And there's some part of our minds that actually thinks that it's effective. Have you noticed that? I mean, there it is, the thought again. And I've noticed for me to become skilled in samadhi, and I, th- I think this is really important, is I've had to become skilled in navigating that. Getting skilled in letting go of that. To turning towards actually the wholesome rather than the unwholesome. So I just want to point out that this is part and parcel. Navigating those states of mind is part and parcel of learning samadhi, just as the, the Buddha had to learn that in this archetypal way. And then he had to remember the pleasantness that he enjoyed as a child that had a, a, a purity or wholesomeness to it. So this is the art, the art of samadhi, the, the turning towards the pleasure of the wholesome and turning away from the harshness of those internal modern austerities. And of course, you might all, own, all of you yourself might have your own unique modern austerities that your mind tends toward. It's important to know what those are because they're hindering the, 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 the the arising of samadhi. They're hindering our cultivation of this art, this art of, of, of allowing the samadhi to, to, to flourish. So I do want to say, I want to come back to this piece around pleasure and the pleasant, because it, it, it's an important turning point in the, in the Buddhist story, and I think it's a, an important aspect of, of samadhi as well. But I want to back up a bit and and talk a little bit more about this word samadhi. We've spoken about it a little bit, but just to refresh our minds um, to to start there. It before I say this, I want to say that there there are many different ideas of where the word samadhi comes from. Um, uh, it's derived differently by different scholars. One that I appreciate is seeing it that it comes from this uh, the verb in Pali, uh, uh, samadati, which uh, can be really seen to, to mean uh, this verb that means to put together or to collect. And this is what we've been talking about, is allowing the, the mind, the heart, and the body to collect around an experience, to unify it around an experience. And you might remember I gave you this image, the image of all of us in here, when all of us are turned towards whoever's speaking and all of us are listening to that one voice, there's a quality of unification, of collectedness. And if there was three or four of you in the corner chatting away and the rest of you were 
collected around that voice, there would still be quite a bit of collectedness or unification, but not, it wouldn't be complete. And then if more people were having their own conversations, then that unification would, would um, uh, be compromised in some way. It's the same thing with our mind around the breath. And you might have noticed various levels of that where the mind isn't with the breath at all. It's like the entire mind is in the corner having a conversation about something entirely different. <laughs> and then maybe three or four of, you, of the mind is paying attention to the breath. And then there's sometimes moments where you can feel the entire mind is there with the breath. And there's these varying degrees of this. This is, this is the quality of samadhi. You know, uh, another way that it's uh, uh, to get a sense of it is just the effort that it takes uh, to bring the mind uh, to the breath, to bring the attention to the, the breath. You might have noticed that this might come from uh, Joseph Goldstein. Is uh, one feeling sense of it is as if it's there's some kind of peak in your mind. The awareness is down at the bottom of the peak, and you have to climb up. It feels like you have to climb up to pay attention to the breath, and then you're with the breath, but it's oh, so balanced there, and then it falls off again. And then you may need to bring some effort to get all the way up to the peak there, and then it falls off again. Have you experienced this? <laughs> this is the struggle of samadhi. <laughs> Good, see, you're doing the practice. But then there's moments where the peak becomes a trough, and, and then it, it's just like the mind just naturally wants to hang out with the breath, and it might veer away from the breath, but then it just is, it goes right back to it. And there's a, a, an effortless quality of the, of the uh, awareness just hanging with the breath. And that's, the, again, another unfolding towards this quality of, of samadhi. I sometimes don't like to use this image of, of the peak in the trough because then people get into this sense of uh, judging how their samadhi practice is going. <laughs> so I just want to, trying to assess your samadhi practice is bad news in the sense that often you are the worst assessor of it. Um, because what I've noticed is I can be putting in days and days of, of this, this effort of uh, remaining relaxed and diligent, and it feels like it's just a huge mess. But after a few days of being on retreat and doing that, I notice that the mind is more collected, that there is a collecting, there's a unification going on that I'm not even aware of in some way. And the reason I, I mention that is just to be aware of your judgments of where you think you are on the samadhi spectrum. Be, being here on retreat is cultivating samadhi. Your job is not to judge it. Your job is to simply cultivate it. It's, it's kind of like when you plant a seed and your job is just to water it and to tend it. But if you're trying to always, if you're picking the seed out of the soil and looking at it, <laughs> it's not a good scene. <laughs> This is what happens when we, when we start to assess samadhi. Just, just water the plant. That's all you need to do. And then I want to distinguish uh, this quality of samadhi uh, from the quality of, of sati, um, of mindfulness. And this is going to be, this is a little oversimplistic, but I think it, it's, helpful. it's going in the right direction a little bit. So the quality of samadhi is, it's, it's, you could say, to keep it simple, it's your mind's ability right now to, to, uh, to direct your, mind, your eyes up here and to sustain your eyes on the bull up here. To allow the mind to collect around seeing the bull. Whereas mindfulness sees the qualities of the bull. It might see the shape of the bull. It sees the color of it. It's aware that I'm moving it up and down. 
it's it's seeing those different aspects of it. That's that's the role of mindfulness to see those details, whereas the samadhi allows uh, the mind to stay there with it. So that's one way of of distinguishing uh, both of these. And you might notice that just like with the example uh, with the bell, uh, sati and samadhi they're they're intertwined. It's not like we have one and then the other. They really go hand in hand. And then sometimes the samadhi is stronger than the sati or the sati is stronger than the samadhi, but they are so interwoven. So if it's sometimes confusing about, am I cultivating mindfulness or am I cultivating samadhi today? Really both. You can't separate them. And we can lean into more one more than the other. Um, uh, but, but both are, are intertwined. And I, I just want to point out the the importance of samadhi for just our daily lives, our, our life in general. So, you know, living these modern lives, we, you, you've probably noticed we've been thrown into this um, sometimes a quite amazing but disturbing technological world. And... And what comes with that, actually some of this comes from uh, this book that was uh, came out uh, quite a number of years ago called The Shallows, examining how what, what technology does to our, our, uh, our brains and our minds. And the gist of it was is that a, a lot of technology creates a kind of rhythm that fragments our attention. I think the, the, the best example of this, and I can't even do this anymore, is something like television or movies is you have these images that are happening so quickly that what happens is it, it, it's, it's just grabbing the attention rather than allowing the attention to rest upon something. And the, I, I guess the idea is, is that it's important uh, to switch the image to keep the uh, images switching because it keeps the this, this sense of um, pulling the attention, the sense of intrigue. But do you, do you get a sense of how that can fragment our attention? And... This is the world that we live in, of of technology doing this. And I, I, I'm saying this not to badmouth technology. I think there's wonderful things that come with it, and it's just the world that we live in now. So it's not so much to say that it's an evil, but it's more to show that what we're doing here is such a wonderful complement to to uh, navigating that that way that our modern life in a different way. It's really important. And then for our spiritual practice, what we're doing here, you know, as we'll be getting into, I think tomorrow night is that this is, samadhi is one of the tools that we need to help stabilize the mind so that we can see clearly. This is what the the Buddha uh, spoke about again and again and again. Samadhi is so uh, emphasized. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, the three trainings are sila, samadhi, panya. Samadhi is a very important uh, aspect of what we're doing here. And just one description of this that, that comes from the uh, Pali discourses. He says, when, when a practitioner's concentrated mind is thus purified, bright, unblemished, rid of imperfection, malleable, wieldy, steady and attained to imperturbability, 
then the practitioner directs the mind to the knowledge of the destruction of the taints, or you could say to freedom. And then understanding happens, understanding as it actually is. And then you have the, the, the Four Noble Truths uh, refrain. This is suffering. This is the origin of, or this is dukkha. This is the origin of dukkha. This is the cessation of dukkha. This is the way leading to the cessation of dukkha. Right? So, so here we have the unfolding here, the cultivation of, of samadhi. And then we have these qualities that come with samadhi. The, the mind becomes malleable and wieldy and steady. Um, and then it can be directed in this way, uh, in this certain direction of, uh, that leads to clarity. And we'll be getting into directing the mind, you could say, or, or looking into these different ways of seeing, which uh, Donald will begin with uh, tomorrow night. And, and I, I do want to point out just in my, you know, in my daily life uh, meditation practice, I've gone through periods where I've had more of a, a focus on samadhi. And it's, it's, I find it so helpful in the sense of when I uh, sit in the morning and there's some level of stability that's, that's uh, cultivated, it makes uh, daily mindfulness so much easier because there's a kind of uh, stability there. And it, it makes it easier to have insight of how this mind is working and to disentangle from those things when there's that kind of stability. It's, it's, it's very helpful. So here we we are cultivating this this tool, this tool of samadhi and this art. And as I was saying, it's the art of of turning away from these modern austerities, and towards really uh, moving towards the wholesome. And as I was mentioning. This was a, a big breakthrough for the Buddha, that moment under the rose apple tree of seeing the importance of samadhi and that it was a pleasant thing. And the more I read the, the Pali discourses, the, the more I realize, this might be a little bit extreme, sometimes I wonder if we should turn off the recorder now, but sometimes I think the Buddha in some ways was a real pleasure junkie. <laughs> when I really read it, I know this is hard, you might not believe this, but... Uh, for example, this um, when you think about the unfolding of, of the path, he starts often with sila, uh, which is ethical conduct and generosity. And how does he talk about it? That it's a kind of bliss, it's a kind of enjoyment in our life to train in ethical conduct in a sense that I have a sense of integrity, as he calls the bliss of blamelessness, and to enjoy that. Or generosity. Why does he teach generosity? Because it feels so good. It's, it's, it's a wholesome pleasure. And I'm training in that. I'm training in something that's actually pleasant. And it's a training. Ethics is not always a pleasant thing, so it's a kind of, 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 of pleasantness that is there. And then that leads into samadhi, and he talks about the pleasure of samadhi. So we have this unfolding around the, the wholesome that is, is, is pleasant in some kind of way or uplifting in some kind of way. For example, there's a discourse in the numerical discourses uh, uh, called the Chaitna Sutta, or uh, Tanasar Bhikkhu translates that as an act of will. And it's a, it's a striking discourse because he talks about how when someone is, is, has integrity and ethical conduct, they don't have to work at feeling the bliss of blamelessness. They don't have to work at feeling the joy that comes with that. 
And from the joy of that ethical conduct, they don't have to say, oh, may, may rapture uh, arise in me. That will naturally arise. And when someone feels the joy of ethical conduct and the rapture that comes with that, they don't have to say, oh, I need to feel serene in my body. That just naturally comes. And then he goes on from that. When one feels naturally serene in one's body, they don't have to say, oh, may I experience pleasure. It's right there. And then he takes this next interesting step. And when one experiences pleasure, he says, and one does not have to, to have this, this will of saying, oh, may I now concentrate the mind. Concentration will start to naturally arise. Isn't that striking? This natural unfolding towards samadhi. Now, I want to acknowledge it doesn't feel that easy, does it? <laughs> I was thinking, am I missing something here in this discourse? <laughs> What's going on with this? So again, I think the Buddha was like me. I think he's kind of a cliff notes kind of guy. So there's some stuff missing in this discourse. But I think there's something really important about it too, which is the importance of, of that which is, is pleasant. And it's something that, again, I invite you to continue to to become curious about one, as I said, what's pleasant about the breath? Can you find anything pleasant in it? And, and I want to acknowledge, there's going to be times, you don't have a choice about this. Sometimes you're going to find something pleasant and sometimes you're not. Remember, you're not in control. But to become curious about it. And then the other thing, and, and sometimes I emphasize this actually quite a bit on some retreats, where during the walking meditation, it's an invitation at times to let go of the breath and just to see what it's like just to take in pleasure, the pleasure, the, the, the pleasantness of this place. It, you know, I think I'm preaching to the choir when I say this, but Spirit Rock is just an incredibly beautiful place. I, when I came here yesterday, maybe it was just because, you know, in Flagstaff, we don't have this rich greenness at this time, but there was something about the green of the hills that was just so powerful. And when I allow that in, it opens my body in a way and it allows it to settle as long as I'm not grasping at it. Again, I know these are the cliff notes. <laughs> but that's a skill. And it's a skill that, that is also really important for samadhi because it teaches me how to savor the greenness of the hills is the same thing as savoring the pleasantness of the breath without grasping at it. Because the biggest... The biggest modern austerity that I get hooked in is grasping at the pleasure of the breath, which gets entangled with my striving, which is really entangled with my sense of not being enough too. So you can hear the trail of this modern austerity and the art of really opening up to that which is pleasant. And it's, it can be tricky. Again, uh, uh, here's a poem by Alison Luterman, who uh, I think she expresses it quite succinctly and, and quite well in terms of this challenge. She begins, she says, I'm scared to confess to happiness. In some ways, I think that's the whole poem. I think there's something so powerful about that, right? I'm scared to confess to happiness. Maybe you can relate. I know the jealous fates in their dolorous heaven, how they love to feast on the heart. I know they've already marked the spot where one of us dies 
and the other stands open-mouthed and uncomprehending as dirt closes over our one song. But for just this moment, I want what I have. I'm scared. I'm scared to confess to happiness. I know the jealous fates in their dolorous heaven, how they love to feast on the heart. I know they've already marked the spot where one of us dies and the other stands open-mouthed and uncomprehending as dirt closes over our one song. But for just this moment, I want what I have. It's a scary thing to confess to happiness. And I appreciate how she defines it. You know, just for this moment, I want what I have. Right? To want what you have. What a beautiful description of contentment. And to me, this speaks to the art of samadhi. And, and I think sometimes the tricky thing for me around samadhi, I'll just tell you what my mind does, is I go to these retreats on I've done this for so many years. I go to a retreat, a concentration retreat of some sort, and they talk about jhanas, and they talk about the mind settling, and the bliss, and the pleasure. And my mind's like, man, I'm going to stick with the breath, and I'm going to get that. <laughs> and then I'm with the breath, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm getting it, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. <laughs> I can't wait till I get a little bit more. <laughs> Damn it, it's not working. Have you ever, has anyone else have this mind state before? <laughs> might not be as extreme as mine has gotten at times. Right? That's the opposite of wanting what I have. I'm wanting what I don't have moment after moment after moment in samadhi practice. The, the, and that's, that's the modern austerity of samadhi practice. This is a real art. I have to actually be content with however the breath is right now. I actually have to be content with however the mind is right now. I have to meet it with the way it is right now. That means I have to be content when the mind isn't with the breath. I have to be content when it's a very sleepy, achy day. There has to be that contentment and the diligence and the diligence to come back. Both of those. Are you hearing what an art this is? The art of being diligent, but ultimately also cultivating a quality of contentment. I think this is why the the great commentator Buddhaghosa, who wrote the Vasudhimaga and also commentaries to much of the Pali Canon, said that the proximate cause to concentration is happiness, it's contentment. And here we have our training set out for us. And I, I just want to put in the physiological piece of this as well is that when my system can really take in that which is pleasant, I actually have to feel safe. And I, when I feel safe, I'm settled. Do you hear why last night was so important, this thing around ethical conduct? This is so much tied into samadhi. We have to learn how to feel safety and then we have to learn how to allow pleasure in there because when I'm allowing pleasure in there, I'm, my mind is settled and then the mind can easily, easily collect. It's, it's such a huge fight when those aren't there. And again, I, 
I have done that fight <laughs> where I've tried to bypass that where I was just going to get it. And this uh, brings me to this other quality that I briefly mentioned this morning, which is this quality of surrender. For me, this is, it's in samadhi practice that I started to really understand this word, where there would be a diligence, but I needed to surrender to the way things are. And for me, since there was such a, a, a chasing after the breath, I needed to learn how to surrender to the breath. So there would be this diligence of keeping the mind at the, where I would use is at the nostrils. But for me, sometimes what I have to do when, when there's too much tightness is to allow kind of the, the breath to come to me. So I'm surrendering to it is something that I find so helpful. And then if there's not enough energy, that's when I usually count the breath um, uh, to, to bring up the energy. And it's also in this context that I, I need to remember that I don't have much choice around this. I don't even have choice around if the breath is going to be pleasant or not. I only have a choice in my willingness, to will, my willingness to show up with the breath again and again and again. And can you come back to that simple willingness and keeping it simple like that with a quality of contentment? Also, I, I, hopefully what you're hearing about this is that the, the practice of samadhi is not only the skill of being with the breath, it's mostly the skill of knowing how to navigate those things that, are, that feel like they're getting in the way of the breath. That's so much of the skill, is how are you relating to those things that are getting in the way? And to me, again, this is where the real art was, is, is how was I relating to them? which is intertwined sometimes with how I'm relating to myself. Am I pushing them away? Is there a tightness around them? Am I getting frustrated around it? Is there an ease? Is there a patience with the process? So again, another poem. You're going to have to get used to this. This is just the way I give Dharma talks. <laughs> Actually, this one's by Alison Litterman as well. I think this is a beautiful description of what it is to, uh, to navigate the things that feel like they're getting in the way, which is, again, so much of the art of samadhi. Actually, let me give the frame of this, this poem because it's, it's helpful. So here, the, 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 the context of this poem is here she's going to uh, swim laps at a public swimming pool. And it's her ex experience of swimming laps at a public swimming, school, swimming pool. And so she begins, she says, Try to love everything that gets in your way. 
the Chinese women in flowered bathing caps murmuring together in Mandarin, doing leg exercises in your lane while you execute 36 furious laps, one for every item on your to-do list. The heavy-bellied man who goes thrashing through the water like a horse with a harpoon stuck in its side, whose breathless tsunamis rock you from your course. Teachers all. <laughs> Learn to be small and swim through obstacles like a minnow without grudges or memory. Dart toward your goal, sperm to egg. Thinking obstacle is another obstacle. Try to love the teenage girl idly lounging against the louder, ladder, showing off her new tattoo. Cette vie est la mienne. This life is mine. In, in thick blue black letters on her ivory instep. Be glad she'll have to look at it, look at it all the rest of her life and keep going, keep going. <laughs> Swim by an uncle in the next lane to yours who is teaching his nephew to hold his breath underwater even though kids aren't allowed at this hour. Some day, years from now, this boy who is kicking and flailing in the exact place you want to touch and turn will be a young man at a wedding on a boat raising a champagne glass in a toast when a huge wave hits, washing everyone overboard. He'll come up coughing and spitting like he is now, but he'll come up like a cork, alive. So your moment of impatience must bow in service to a larger story. Because if something is in your way, it is going your way. The way of all beings, towards darkness, towards light. If something is in your way, it is going your way. And this this great phrase, can you allow can you allow your impatience to bow in the service to this larger story? To me, this is the art of samadhi. It really is about patience. It's about navigating these. It's part and parcel of what samadhi is all about. So when difficulties arise, it doesn't mean that it's going quote-unquote wrong. It means you're doing the practice. So a, a little bit more about uh, difficulties that, that I want to name. The instruction that we've given you has been really simple. Pay attention to the breathing. <laughs> when you notice the mind is not with the breath, come back to the breath. Notice the pleasantness of the breath. Have a, have a quality of continuity with the breath, with this diligence yet being relaxed. But sometimes it's not that easy. Hopefully you've noticed that. And what I was mentioning, I think this is uh, when we were answering some questions about samadhi. Sometimes I do need to bring in sometimes what I'd call some vipassana or some other qualities to navigate uh, some of these things that feel like they're getting in the way. And when I make this decision is when I feel like the awareness has been overwhelmed, where this whole thing of just simply coming back to the breath ain't working anymore, where I've tried that and I might need something different. And so I just want to name a, a few things to, to keep in mind around this. 
So actually, this happened just to me this morning. Maybe it was heaven sent for my Dharma talk. So during the, what was it, 10 a.m. sit or the 10.45 sit? 10.45 sit. Yeah, it was a 10.45 sit. So here, here I am practicing samadhi with all of you this morning at 10.45 a.m. And did you hear that sound? There's that wild, weird sound. What was up with that? So, so here I am trying to pay attention to my breath, and then it gets pulled away by the sound, and I come back to the breath, and I gets pulled away by the sound. I come back to the breath, and then I'm getting really frustrated with the sounds. <laughs> and I've noticed this, uh, and this is just my mind in particular. Your mind might not be this way, but there are phases, and it can come at very interesting different phases, but sometimes it's, it's at the beginning of when uh, the samadhi is just starting to develop. There's, like a, there's almost like a... Uh, the, the poetic way I can describe it is there's like a brittleness, an unskillful brittleness in the mind and the heart. And especially around sound where it gets so, it gets hypersensitive to sound in a way that all sound is really unpleasant. And it, it can get, my mind can actually get uh, pretty easily overwhelmed by sound sometimes in, in different fa- phases of samadhi. Because I have a whole list of stories of being overwhelmed by different sounds <laughs> around this. And so I could start to feel that brittleness of the, in the, the frustration and a little bit of the irritation of wanting to be with the breath but being pulled away. And it, I could feel it veering into awareness of getting overwhelmed. So just coming back to the breath wasn't working. So what I did is I changed the object of my meditation and I, then I was just with the hearing. And it was effective because what it did is it allowed the mind to settle. And of course, ideally, what I go for first is just going back to the breath because it really does cultivate the strongest samadhi, but this is what I needed to do. And it was really effective. And then that was just the main object of my meditation for a while. There was a settling and then I could come back to the breath and have a different relationship to the sound. So sometimes you're going to have to vary things a little bit. This is part of the art of samadhi is when do you do that and when do you not do that? That's the question to hold. I can't answer that for you. It'd, it'd be horrible if I'd answer that question for you. Because <laughs> that's the struggle, is really learning that art. And the only way you learn that art is sometimes is, is confronting these struggles that are coming up. When do you bring in something different and when do you just keep it super simple? And then I I just want to name this too. Um, Sometimes, uh, you know, if I get myself really wrapped up in a big tangle, which, you know, can happen on retreats, again, I just want to name, and we might talk about this more, my go-to for the big tangles is self-compassion because it's so simple. It's just, I just acknowledge that I'm having a difficult time. Ouch, this hurts. And luckily it just comes down to one word for me now, ouch. If I can get the word ouch out, there it is. There's a softening. Wow, this is difficult and I care about my suffering right now. This is tough and I care. And sometimes that's all that's needed just for a softening, just to begin with that. So a a reminder of that, such a powerful tool. And then uh, back to this other quality that can come in, which is uh, this quality of striving, wanting something out of the practice of samadhi. And I want to point out how subtle it can be. Sometimes I'm with the breath and it can just be, just sometimes it just feels like my body's trying to lean into the breath just a teeny bit more as if it's trying to get something out of it. 
And so this is why be, being aware of the attitude of the mind, and here you can see the crossover with Vipassana, which is so important. The attitude of the mind. How is the mind relating to the breath? How is the mind relating to experience? Checking in with that every so often. Oh, is there wanting? Oh, yeah. Oh, and sometimes that's all that's needed is just, just to notice, oh, there's wanting. And just with the label, there can be a coming back just to being with. Oh, there's some not wanting. Sometimes it's subtle. And then it can just bring the mind back into balance like that. So checking in with that. And to me, it reminds me of this other art that comes with somebody is that we're placing an intention, the intention to be with our experience, the intention to be with the breath without the expectation. And this, is, this I think, infuses all kind of, kinds of artistic endeavors, is being able to place an intention without the expectation. It needs the patience for something different to happen. I remember this is so important. You say in a past life when I was learning how to play the piano, of just learning how to move my hands differently. The, the piano teacher that I was uh, working with, I remember he taught in a very different way, but he, he really emphasized the sense of almost breathing through the hands, which I couldn't understand. And of course, he was trying to use a language that I couldn't understand. And I had, the in- I had to have the intention to, in some ways, breathe through my hands in order for that to start to unfold. So, for example, I remember in, this is a Chopin piece, there was a, there was a Chopin piece where I, there was a note that was being sustained, and uh, at the same time, there was a crescendo in the music, so it was supposed to be getting louder. And he says, you have to hold that sustained note in a way that you're breathing into it in a way that you're crescendoing through that, that, that note that you're holding down, which on a piano, right, is impossible, right? When you play a note, you can't make it louder anymore. But he insisted that I do that time and again and again and again so that I'd have the intention because he really felt like it really influenced the piece and I think it really did in the long run of really getting that sense but I needed to have the intention not the expectation and in that sense the expectation was impossible in some way it was the perfect kind of artistic endeavor it's the same thing with samadhi you have to have the intention to be with the breath even though it might feel like that, that example of crescendoing in that way, it might feel like it's impossible. But to continue with it, that's why it's such a craft. Maybe I'll just end with a quote because it's coming to mind right now. I think in some ways this, this comes down to a kind of craftsmanship that, that you hear Aristotle talk about. Actually, he talks about it in terms of ethics too. You find it in his Nicomachean Ethics. He says, uh, we are what we do. And if we are what we do, then excellence then is not an act, but rather a habit, which I really appreciate. We are what we do. And excellence is not an act, but rather a habit. In Samadhi, develops out of this habit. And out of that habit, there is this excellence that comes of, of cultivating this, this quality of, of collectedness, of samadhi. Yeah, so may our, our struggles and our exploration of samadhi lead to the liberation of all beings. Thank you. So let's just sit for... 
uh, a minute and then I'll ring the bell and we'll move into the walking meditation. <laughs> 